Today I'm talking with Carrie Syme, who is the author of the delightful novel Horse Girl and the creator of the Flying Flamingo Sisters, a best-selling Audible series. She's also been a staff writer on many TV series and a journalist and essayist and comedian. And yeah, we once climbed the Great Wall of China together, which is how I always lead when I talk about you and how I met you. We've survived big things together. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we've done major, major things. What are you doing today? What's the most important thing on your agenda for today? Today, I had to dive back into the self-promotion pool, which I have been staying on dry land. But I had exciting news that I needed to share that my next book or audio project, The Flying Flamingo Sisters 2, is launching in December 1st. And I looked at the calendar and it's we're already into November. So I said, I have to start promoting today. So I took my first splashback into social media self-promotion to get that news out into the world. And then my other big creative project is that my other book, Horse Girl, has been optioned for a series. So we're just in what's, you know, the Hollywood phrase development of that and going through it's just revision after revision after revision on that. So um, we're just sending the latest revision in. So two big creative things going on today, which is nice for a Friday really a great way to end the week. On a note where one project is sort of gestating and getting going and the other is about to debut. Exactly. And none of that hard stuff in the middle, right? No, no. The the making stuff. Yeah, no, that's 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 a tricky little phase. Self-promotion is kind of its own beast, right? Does it feel like something that you need to gear yourself up to do? How do you turn on that? Okay, now I have to tell everyone about it. Part of your brain. When I first really started having to promote was for the Horse Girl book. And because I realized very quickly in publishing, you are your best PR team. And I had to do so much more than I realized. But I thought, gosh, this is my one chance. I have a book coming out in the middle of a pandemic. I just have to try everything and I can't feel too badly about it if what works and doesn't work. And I can't feel too embarrassed, even though I am embarrassed inside. But I just I just had to give it everything I could because it was an unusual time. And when a book's coming out, it's you kind of have this window of time where it's your only chance. I have this greeting card that my sister gave me when I first moved to Los Angeles after college and I knew no one in L.A. And on the front of the greeting card is a little bird that's riding a Ferris wheel at a carnival. And the phrase is, she was scared silly, but she kept buying tickets. And I think about that a lot. Like, I'm scared silly all the time, but I'm like, just keep buying those tickets, you know. That's so wonderful. And so can you tell me a little bit about Flying Flamingo Sisters 2? So Flying Flamingo Sisters, it's like a radio play set in the 1930s. And it tells the story of these three sisters who are the children of famous aviators and their parents go missing. So the three girls set off on this soaring adventure around the world to try to save their parents and stop evil from spreading around the world. And it's a real Indiana Jones style adventure that focuses on these three very empowered and strong and funny young girls. And so Flamingos 2 is the sequel to that story. And we recorded it for Audible. It's an Audible original. We recorded it with a full cast and live music and, uh, uh, sorry, scoring and, and sound effects. And it just really, really resonated with entire families. And it was all inspired by my grandfather's true story. He was in a flying circus in the 1930s doing all these crazy aviation tricks. So, yeah, this is one of my very favorite things I've ever done. And I'm just so excited that I get to share it with big audience. 
I always think of book promotion as like a one-to-one relationship. Literally, you are finding one reader at a time, someone who buys the book, tells their friends about it. Have you seen that happen with Horse Girl? I know that you've gone to so many events and really connected with the Horse Girl community, which is very vibrant and thriving. Yeah, well, you well, you really nailed it. And I think it is that personal one-on-one touch, especially with a, with a middle-grade tween story where you just have to connect. And so I went out into the horse world, the the horse community, barn by barn, stable by stable, horse girl by horse girl, and also horse parent by horse parent. And you just, you do readings, you answer their questions, you show up as much as you can. I had to do all the events, first of all, virtual. Then we did them outdoors, which is fine for horse events. I brought a horse to a library in upstate New York to the lawn of the library, which is a very Pippi Long stocking moment. The thing is, if the work connects, then they're going to tell their friends and it's going to spread around the world. And I was getting Halloween pictures of kids dressed up like Horse Girl, my protagonist this year. And I just started crying because it was such a an amazing thing to see after you've written by yourself for so long. And it's so lonely and isolating. And then you see, oh, this, this child, I have no idea who they are, and they've decided to go as my book for Halloween. So it's very gratifying. How are you reimagining your story to suit a completely different world, you know, a visual on-camera, on-screen world? I'm learning so much. It's such a process of having to protect the things you love, but also not be too precious and letting the work evolve. The series will likely be a little aged up, so we'll tell a little bit older stories, but with the same heart and the same humor. And also writing for a series or television is obviously more collaborative most of the time. And so there are other creative players who are playing in my world that I created. And at first, it's, it's, you're kind of scared. You're like, no, this is my world. I've got to protect it. And then they come up with these brilliant ideas. And you think, wow, I don't have to do all the work. I mean, there are other people who can have great ideas in this world, too. And I'm really just so excited about that exploding with new people being involved and taking the time to think about how the characters can grow and evolve. So I'm really, really enjoying it. And so what does that process look like exactly? Is there a sort of timeline involved or, oh, we want to get it in front of these networks or these studios at at this point? You know, when do you say like, okay, this is it. We're ready to we're ready to roll. Um, Well, that's not my decision. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it were. You really need patience. When you're writing a book or developing a television series, it takes a long, long time. And there are a lot of people involved to approve the next step. And people go out of town and people are on vacation and then people have other projects. But you just try to keep pushing it forward to the next stage, to the next stage. So for me, I created a pitch deck by myself to begin with. And I brought in another collaborator who was very fond of the book. And the two of us pitched that concept for the series to what was going to be a few production companies, but the first one we met with was the perfect fit for us. And so that's where we went. And so it was really, really pretty quick at the beginning of the process. And now we're sort of retooling it for an older audience. So we're just reworking the pitch before we go out to networks. So that's where we are in this very, very long marathon. We're just still the first few miles of it. And that pitch phase, are you writing scripts for the pilot or are you outlining the arc of the entire first season and talking about storylines and characters and how in the weeds are you getting in what you're going to present to the networks? Well, you have to get pretty in the weeds, even if it's only for yourself, even if it's not in the document they see or the verbal pitch they hear. 
but you definitely need to set up what's this all about, who are the characters, what's the world, and what are what's the arc of the first season, what are the storylines we're going to be looking for, what's the setup of the pilot, is this live action comedy, how, how many minutes, all of those basic things. And then you need to tell it with a really fun and captivating voice. So you're trying to get a lot of information out in a fun way. So it's a, it's a big task, but it's it's exciting. And then you want to be prepared for all sorts of questions and have really thought through, if nothing else, at least the first season, if not beyond. Right. You know, because it'll be a big hit. And now we want to know where <laughs> are they going to be season three, four and five. Horse girls, hear my prayer. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, it reminds me of something we talk about, Kara, a lot, which is building a canoe. And I feel like, oh, I'm, I already built a canoe and now I'm building a new canoe, which I can explain the meaning, but it's our shorthand that we use a lot. I think everyone needs to know about the canoe because <laughs> honestly, I think for years now, anytime we interact, I'm just sending you the canoe emoji and nothing else um, Same. because Same. it is so it's just such a memorable metaphor for me and something that I always need a reminder of. So if you could explain the canoe. Yeah. So I was writing a story for The New York Times, a feature story about something called taking a creative hiatus. And it was people, this was pre-pandemic, who just sort of, instead of going on vacation or going anywhere, they stayed home and did a big creative project. And I interviewed a, a friend of mine who was building a canoe. That was his creative project. And he said the only way he, he actually built a canoe in one summer, and this is a person who'd never built anything in his entire life, was that he told anyone who invited him anywhere, sorry, I can't, I'm building a canoe. And it was the perfect excuse because what are what are you going to say to that when you invite him out, you know, for happy hour drinks? And he just says, sorry, I'm building a canoe. I can't go. It's just a great thing to have ready to go when you need to self-isolate and protect your time and your mental energy to finish a big, gigantic creative project. Well, because it's so tangible, right? Sometimes I feel like if we say, well, you know, I'm I'm working on that story or I'm working on that article or I'm writing that pilot, it feels a little more amorphous than just, okay, this is a literal 20-foot long canoe like in my garage. I'm out there sanding it. It's a physical manifestation of like how long something actually takes. Yeah. And people can see it instantly in their mind. And by the way, this is all coming from Trent Presler, who wrote a memoir called Little and Often, which really speaks to this whole theme as well. And I highly recommend that memoir. You just have to find that thing that's your go-to excuse so that you're not always tempted or always wishy-washy in your, in your uh, regrets to others. Yeah, and I'd like to talk a little about that because you definitely have pivoted the last few years from other types of work that you were doing. You know, you were doing a lot more editing, freelance journalism, travel writing, and have made this turn into creating your own original works that now Obviously, there are sequels. They're living in different mediums and, and genres. And to do that, it takes a lot of persistence to sort of keep going down that path. And I just have to wonder, when you look back, when you first started to make that pivot, was it conscious? Did you say, OK, now I'm going to scale back on some of these things and then ramp up on my other projects? How did you make that decision? Definitely. It was a mix. So I definitely consciously cut back on travel writing which is how you and I met and what I used to do a lot of. And it's a, it's a really hard thing to give up because it's kind of a dream job. You and I have had this conversation before that I made a decision that I could either keep doing that or I could say, I'm going to stay grounded for a little bit and really build a life in one place. Because I wasn't having luck in the romantic world or, or the creative world when I was just gallivanting on these amazing trips around the world. And so I made a conscious decision to say no to a lot of trips, but I didn't know what was going to be the creative thing that filled in the gap. And then 
to make a full circle moment, I was actually in the canoe that Trent had actually built and we were celebrating. And one of his friends of friends was also there for the canoe party. And it turned out he was a book editor. I kind of said, oh, well, I've written for Nickelodeon and I performed at the Groundlings in L.A. I've performed comedy. And he said, oh, if you ever have any ideas for kids, especially funny books for girls, we're always looking for those. And I just thought, mm -hmm. oh, he's just being nice and saying it. I did have an idea and I mentioned it to him. And he said, great, write up the first two chapters. And this is when you need good friends in your life because I went back to one of my best friends and said, this just seems like a lot of work and nothing's going to happen with it. And they're not paying me to write two chapters. I was so ignorant of the book <laughs> world. I didn't even realize that like, you're supposed to write the whole book and then try to sell it like no one ever pays you. <laughs> But I have another good, good friend who said, you have to do this, Carrie. You should do this. This is a great opportunity. I call them like lifeguard friends who, when you're ready to bail on a project because it's hard or scary, and they kind of throw a life preserver at you and like chug you back on the ship against your will and say, you should do this. There's plenty of times you should bail on projects. But sometimes if you're just bailing because it's terrifying and it's a new thing, uh, you need a friend to say like, no, give this a shot. You can do this. You can do this. And so I gave it a shot. I wrote the two chapters and then it ended up becoming the book. So a new full circle back on the ship. Everything worked. You know, it's, it's just wild. And, and the other lesson here is speaking up. If you do have an idea, why not put it, put it out in the middle of a canoe? You know, you just never know. You know, if you had three trips planned for the next couple months and then that editor had said something to you, you would have not had the time or space to think about it. You would have been off on the next thing and the next thing. And I'd be balancing on the Great Wall with you, Kara, and not writing a book. <laughs> yes, nearly falling off. Um, you know, there are phases and periods of our life for all things. Yes, that's exactly right. Being willing to change what you do and have a different phase and say, I did that for a while. Now I'm going to do this is so important, I think. And they're going to feed into each other. Things you learn from multiple multiple worlds are going to inform what the new thing is as well. Basically, I want to know how you kind of structure your day, too, because all of these things or a lot of them are self-created or self-driving. Even if you have collaborators, you still have to create structure that previously was created by a publication or mm -hmm. certain other deadlines. And so how do you decide what you're going to work on that day and actually set aside the time to do it and build the canoe? Figuring out how to write Horse Girl was it was one of the hardest things I ever did because I was also editing for a magazine at the same time. But that actually allowed me to figure out a schedule. So I knew I had to edit during the day and that I had to write on nights and weekends Horse Girl. And I had a deadline and I just had to work backwards in the calendar and split it up. And I had to get through whatever the goal was, if it was one chapter or two chapters per week. And so I knew if I was writing, even if it was 100 or 200 words a night, that would help me so that all of Saturday and Sunday wasn't were writing more. Or if I didn't get to do the word count during the week, I'd have to do it Saturday and Sunday. And I had to live with, this is going to be horrible on the first draft, that feeling. And I'm going to come back and make it better. But there's no way I'll get through this giant task if I don't just keep plowing ahead, you know, as Trent says, little and often with getting through one chapter a week or whatever the schedule was. And you just have to do that. And you just have to be brutal with yourself. I just told myself, as long as you get whatever the thousand words down on the page, okay, you can go take a walk or whatever, but you must do it, even if they're terrible. 
you can always revise and make something better. But if there's nothing on the page, you've got nothing. And I worked that way for months and months. And I was actually doing two books at once. So I was doing Horse Girl and the Flying Flamingo Sisters too, which was great. It was an embarrassment of riches to get both, you know, assignments or both. That's not even how you say it in the book world. I'm such a journalist. <laughs> I'm still using like reporter lingo. Uh, two commissions um, at the same time. But wow, it was so hard. And you just you just have to be brutal with yourself to get it done. And then after I took months of I am not doing anything creative. I'm not writing a word because I just couldn't. I just had to collapse and I had to find other ways to be creative until I started the sequel. And the sequel, I imagine, was sort of a, a less brutal process. Well, that's what you would think so. Right, Kara? But no, it turns out sequels are hard. I thought to myself, I've got the characters figured out. I've got the world. I kind of know the plot. But it's it's still, it's always hard. And no matter how many times we do this, it is so hard. Also because expectations are set high. The first book, Flying Flamingos 1, nobody knew who I was as an author. Nobody, <laughs> there were no expectations whatsoever. And now in the sequel, there were so many expectations. I could actually know there are little kids writing me fan letters who really want this to be good and I have to make it good for them. There was a lot of pressure and I, you know, I had a lot of anxiety and it was it was difficult, but I, I had to keep going. And again, I brought in my dear friends to help me. There are so many days when you're writing something where you just want to quit. And I literally would say, I'm giving the advance back. You know, I never spent any of the advance. I was like, I'm going to give it back. I can't do it. And again, my good friends and my family were like, no, you can do this. You can do this. And we can. Oh we gosh. can do it. We are always beginners again and again and again. And expectations may change and life circumstances may change. But I don't know, that idea that we're figuring it out as we go, I think, is just something to remind ourselves of because everyone yeah. else is figuring it out at the same time. You know, I read your bio and look at all of your projects and it's so amazing. And it's still, I like to hear that it was hard work. You know what I mean? It was like, don't, painful, yeah. Not painful. I don't want it to be painful for no. you. But just to see that that it isn't something that just sort of happened one day, you know? No, it and it isn't. And that's not to say, of course, we have exciting sparks of ideas. And that's what keeps you going, right? When you figure out, oh, the character is going to do this. Oh, the character is going to say this, you know? Oh, we're going to go to whatever country with the girls this time. Those are great moments, but it's never easy no matter how many times you've, you've done it. You just have to remind yourself that. And you have to be gentle with yourself. We are so hard on ourselves. I was so hard on myself. And I would never be that hard on anybody else. You know, I really had to say, this is going to go slower than the others. And that's just how it's going to be. And so Flying Flamingos 2 took longer than the first two combined took, but that's how it had to be. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. And I just finally decided I can't always be the same speed. And it's going to take the time it takes. And I'm going to keep at it. I'm mm. not going to quit. But that was important, too. I always thought, I'm such a fast writer. And this time I was what happened? It's gone. But I, you know, persevere. It is just going to take the time it takes. I don't know. I'm just thinking about that in context of so many, so many friends' experiences and my own experiences of feeling like you're behind when you're actually making progress, yeah. which is a horrible feeling because, like you said, you would never talk to like a writer that you're editing in the way that you talk to yourself. How dare you? You know, you failed again today. <laughs> but to make things a little easier, it sounds like you rely, you know, on your friends, your family and, and people around you. Are there any other strategies or tools or functional things that you used that help you chip away? 
I do listen to podcasts like yours, Kara. I love hearing other people. Honestly, I love hearing others' creative progress and their challenges and their little hacks that they've come up with. And one thing, just to go kind of dive deep into the writing itself, one technique I use that I think you use too is called, I, I call it the art of the TK. And so, oh yes. yeah, in the journalism word world, we use these letters TK to signify to come. Some people say like, we don't have the information, like the date that this museum is going to open. So we write TK. It's not spelled correctly. It's this weird journalism thing. And so I've used that plenty of times or even that concept in my creative writing of uh, blah, blah, blah. Something's got to go here. TK. You know, we know something big and bad is going to happen here. TK. Because if you get stuck, you'll just never move forward. And when you actually have deadlines, whether they're from a big publisher or self-imposed, it helps to not let yourself get so caught up on on one thing that's going to stop the bigger progress. So I like teaching people and spreading the word about the art of the TK. The other thing is when you get stuck writing, you know, there's just a point where you're punishing yourself if you just sit in front of the screen any longer. And your best ideas are going to come when you're taking a walk, taking a shower, or for me, playing the piano. Like, you just can't punish yourself forever. So even though I say, yeah, you've got to sit down and get this many words, I think giving yourself a break away from the screen to think and walk and move or even just daydream in the shower or play some some instrument or something that's not a screen is really, really important for whatever sort of writing or creating you want to do. I know that's so basic, but it's really true. And I forget it every time. I'm like crying on my keyboard and it's like you worrying about something all day long and I take a walk and suddenly, oh, that's what should happen. Okay. I love too that what you said about all the experiences in your life will sort of add up to the next thing because I feel like when you were a freelance journalist, maybe you had all of these creative ideas percolating and everything, but you weren't quite sure how they were going to manifest into that next journey. And I mean, looking back, what would you have told yourself when you were 22 and starting to dive into the world of journalism? What would you have liked her to, to know that you know now? It wouldn't make any sense. I, they wouldn't even be able to follow the wild, weird path. <laughs> like They would be lost. Even when I first got out of college, I wanted to... I immediately started taking classes at Groundlings and performing, and I had that whole creative life. And I'll, I'll just be very honest about this. So I went all the way up through the Groundlings programs up to the very top, and then I did not get picked to be in the tip-top cast because they have a limited number of people every six months. And if you don't get voted in and there's no spots that time or for whatever reason, you're just out of the program. And I had spent years. That was my life. That was my creative world. It was just devastating. I mean, and I'd had so many successes. I'd been invited to audition for Saturday Night Live and Mad TV, and I was booking commercials left and right. And so it was all going well. But when that got taken away from me, it really was a big creative setback for a while. And that's sort of when I kind of pivoted to more writing for journalism type things in a strange way. I became a dating columnist. <laughs> I was a dating correspondent for the Tyra Banks show, a short-lived TV show. Amazing. And, yeah. I know. And so I went back to journalism almost like to heal my pain of, of that creative rejection. And it took me a long time, to be honest with myself, because I was being creative in my dating writing and my comedy writing, but I really wanted back into that creative world and I missed it desperately. But it took a long time to get the courage and bravery to do it all again. And now I'm, I'm looking at that TV pitch I wrote and I was like, this is good. This is good. I'm really, and it's so rare that I feel this, but I'm, I'm so proud of it. 
And then I said to myself, I could have done it all along. There was nothing. There, I could have done this all along. And I'm so glad I'm here now. I'm doing it now. But I, I'm looking around like I had the skills and talent. And maybe I needed to grow it a little more. But I would just, I just encourage everyone, if you are having a setback, don't let it derail you. I'm glad it didn't totally derail me. I'm sorry it took me a few years to get back to it. And I'm so glad I'm back to it. And so much that I learned in journalism has really, really, really helped me in multiple ways. Even in promoting my projects, like I reach out to celebrities to help, you know, spread the word about my book. And I'm not afraid to reach out to them because I do it all the time in my journalism life. So there are all kinds of skills that, you know, in whatever world, if you're working in accounting or you're working in marketing that will help you in your creative life, that will will benefit. But just gosh, that whole idea of like, I could have done this all along has really been striking me this year. Yeah, you... Boy, I have chills because it's so I mean, that clearly... was such a long-winded story. Sorry, Kara, but I no, just... I, I well I'm thinking about it a lot. It's so clearly where you're meant to be. Like it Aww. just it seems so obvious, which can just kind of come as a surprise when you do something else for so long that then you kind of return to the place that you kind of always knew you were supposed to be, and you just yeah. found your way back there after yeah. a couple of very interesting turns, which, like you said, have informed all of what you're writing now. But I hope that's what people can take away from this, is that you probably do have all the skills that you think that you need. And what what you need most of all is that audacity to keep going and not letting anybody crush that dream. It's never too late. You build that canoe, guys. This is a call to action. This is a canoe call to action. You can build it. Say no to everything else. Tell everyone that you're building the canoe. Put down the hundred words every day and see what comes out on the other side. Paddle away. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. This was so great to catch up. Can't wait to listen to Flamingo 2 and Seahorse Girl on screens at some point in the future. So thank you. Thank you so much, Kara. I feel like I just went to therapy. This is awesome. Thank you. <laughs>